morning again, everyone. And then those of you who are watching online that are sick today, including my wife, who's at home biting off what I apparently gave her as well. On August 4th, 2007, was when my wife and I got married. We had been dating since March of 2006, and then we dated for um, until January 2007. That's when I proposed to her. And then for the next 10 months, we took some time to prepare for our wedding. We prepared in the sense that um, we started to make all the plans and preparations that were needed. And when I say we were making those plans, I pretty much mean that I told her I love her and whatever she wanted. So she found the dress and found bridesmaids dresses and helped all the guys find the right suits that they were going to wear for the wedding. We found the wedding venue, the reception place. We went through premarital counseling. We even took Financial Peace University during that 10 months because we wanted to be on the same page when it came to our finances. And all these people came together, including family members and friends and church members and pastors and all these businesses providing all these resources, flower arrangements, all these things came together over 10 months as we prepare for the culmination of this August 4th, 2007, our wedding day, when we finally said yes to each other. Right there. Right there. Well, picture us together on that day, married together, these two young people, okay, filing together after 10 months of preparation, planning together, working together, and finally saying yes on that day. Now, church, let me ask you a question. That day, that culminated 10 months of preparation and planning and finally culminating that day when we said yes, was that the end of our relationship or the beginning? It was just the start. Man, there is so much more that God was going to have to show the both of us as we continue to merge our lives together. There is so much more that God wanted to do in us and through us that he needed to grow us in as well. And how many of you know that so many times when we actually finish something, it's not the end, but it's just the beginning? How many of you know that sometimes when you cross a finish line, it really is just the beginning? Look, there's more that needs to be done. There needs to be more growing, more submitting, uh, more learning, more pursuing, more leadership. There's more that God wants to do in you and through you because even that end, crossing that finish line, it's just the beginning. You may have arrived, but you are not there yet. Look, today we're going to see that the wall is done. Nehemiah has been leading all the people to build this wall, but even then, even though they've crossed this finish line, it's not the end. Man, there's still more that God needs to do in them and through them. There's still more work that needs to be accomplished. Now, we only have two weeks left in our Heart for the Kingdom series going through the book of Nehemiah, and maybe you're even looking at your notes right now, and you're looking on there and says, does that say Nehemiah chapter 7 through 9? And maybe you're thinking, is that a typo? The answer is no. I hope that you had some extra caffeine today. You ate your Wheaties, because we're going to go through three chapters 
of the Bible today, okay? Now, we're going to summarize it, okay? Like, um, in fact, I may not even get to chapter 9, and I may not even be able to give you the last point on your notes today. But man, God's going to show us today that in this section of the Bible, again, we're going to see that the work is done, but God is still working on his people. So are you ready to get into the Word of God today? Uh, if you're ready, shout amen. amen. And then I want you to high-five three people around you and tell them, hey, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. All right, Nehemiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than and I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. He says, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been built, had been rebuilt yet. Then my God, Put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. Look, church, there is more that needs to be done. But it wasn't just for the people here in the story that was written about 2,500 years ago. We're going to see that there's still more that man, God wants to do in us and through us, even right now, today. This word, even though it was written 2,500 years ago, is so on time for us today. And the first thing I want to show you from this passage is that there are more healthy leaders that need to be developed. One of the first things I think Nehemiah shows us here in chapter 7 is that there are more healthy leaders that need to be developed. Look what he says here again in verses 1 through 3. He says, now when the wall had been built, when the project had been completed, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, he says, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charged over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And then he said, I said to them. You know, as I was preparing for this message this week, I kept thinking about how Nehemiah has been this picture of what actual healthy leadership looks like, what godly leadership looks like. And for one of our last weeks in this series, man, I wanted to look at the character that he's been showing us and that he's demonstrating even right here in this chapter. Nehemiah showed us, look, that healthy leadership, look, they have hearts that are broken for who matters most. Man, he's been showing that from the very beginning, that healthy leadership, they have hearts that are broken for who actually matters the most. And I thought about putting in there, they have hearts for what matters the most, but really, at the end of the day, look, people are so much more important than things. And remember, the whole thing with this story, it was so much more than its wall being broken down. God was concerned that the people themselves, they were in great trouble. They were in great shame. There is something so much deeper here. And when Nehemiah heard the news that, yes, the walls were broken down, but that the people were in great trouble and great shame, do you remember how this all began back in Nehemiah chapter 1? In chapter 1, he says, as soon as I heard these words, as soon as I heard this news, he says, I sat down 
And what did Nehemiah do? Man, he wept and he mourned for days. And he said, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And he said, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. That I now pray before you day and night, Nehemiah says, day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Man, Nehemiah said back in chapter one, he says, he mourned and wept and prayed and fasted day and night, the scripture said. Look, a healthy leader isn't just like, wow, look at that big problem out there. Let me get back to my fantasy football. No, his heart was broken for what broke the heart of God's. And he turned to the Lord and he said, God, would you help the people? He prayed and he fasted day and night. This wasn't a fleeting thought for Nehemiah. He was focused on what actually broke the heart of God. And he said, look, Lord, I am your servant. Come on, do you remember our heart for the kingdom prayer? That I've been challenging you to pray since week one of this series. As we've been going through this, man, I, I want to challenge you to keep praying that prayer that you would say, Heavenly Father. Again, just like Nehemiah did, our great Father, our great and awesome God, that you would pray, Heavenly Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Look, it's not about us ultimately. It's about God's will being done. Us using our lives to bring glory and honor to the name of God. That we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Then God, would you use me? Nehemiah said, look, Lord, I am your servant. And so many times we think, okay, it's going to be everyone else that does what God needs them to do. But no, we're going to pray as a church that God would use us. Look, Nehemiah didn't play it safe or pray it safe, and we won't either as a church. Man, Nehemiah has been showing us that a healthy leader is one that has his heart broken for the things of God and for who matters most. But Nehemiah also has been showing us that healthy leadership lovingly confronts problems. Man, healthy leaders actually lovingly confront problems. Remember back in chapter five where there's this big debt problem happening in the nation and then within the people and all the inflation and all the taxes that were happening, all these things were happening outside of God's plan. Nehemiah lovingly confronted, and yes, it says he was angry in those moments, but even in his anger, he responded in the right way. He confronted the problem in a godly way. Even when opposition came, he confronted the problem in a godly way. Hey, church, remember that the godly way is the most loving way. So anytime we're faced with challenges, man, we want to confront problems, challenges, issues in a godly way because that is the most loving way. Man, Nehemiah has been showing us that healthy leadership recognizes that great success can also be followed by great failures. And sometimes we have these seasons of victory where everything is up and to the right, but we know that if we don't keep our heads in the game, keep our eyes always on the Lord, we can end up in a season where we're also feeling great defeat. Man, in verse 20, he says, now when the wall had been built, he didn't say, okay, that's it, I'm done. He says, now that the wall had been built, man, he kept going. There was more work that needs to be done. He appointed guards because no houses had been rebuilt yet. And remember, this was only 52 days that the wall had been built. For 150 years, 
that people have been looking at this mess, living in this mess. And in 52 days, as Nehemiah submitted to the Lord, his heart was broken for the things of God. He completed his huge kingdom building project. But even after that, he's like, the work is not done yet. In fact, the scripture even says that right now, this community, it was underpopulated. Look, the phrasing there in the original Hebrew that says had not been built yet could mean either that there weren't enough people yet to sustain this community or literally there weren't enough houses yet built to to sustain this community. I really think it's a combination of both of those things. That right now they were still in that fragile state that yes, they had crossed this finish line and there was great victory in that, that right now was not the time to stop. Because sometimes we have these great successes and we're like, yes, God, it was great. And then we let our guard down. And that's when the enemy creeps in. Look, it's the reason why anytime people go on a mission trip or even the summer camp, and you know how it is, right, with mission trips and summer camps, you go away from your regular environment for that week or two weeks or however long it is, and you have that intense, focused time with the Lord. Man, you're serving people sharing the gospel, probably doing more quiet times than you ever have before, reading your Bible around other people, worshiping Jesus, and it's such a great time. But I warn people that on your way back, you're going back into your regular environment. Look, nothing back at home has changed. No one has had those experiences where you're growing, connecting, serving, multiplying, sharing the gospel. No one else has had that experience when you go back to your regular environment. So when you go back home, like you can feel defeated or you can keep trusting the Lord. You can keep growing and serving and sharing the gospel. Because remember, look, after that great success, we cannot let our guard down. There's more that God wants to do in you. And Nehemiah knew, look, the work is not done. And yes, we can have this time of celebration, but success cannot make us complacent. Nehemiah also shows that healthy leadership, look, it multiplies healthy leadership. Healthy leaders actually don't keep what God has done for them, just for them. They want to share what the Lord has done in them and through them with others. Look in verse 2, he says, Hanani and Hananiah were more faithful and God-fearing men than many. And Nehemiah again showed the qualities of good leadership by delegating authority. And again, he knew what had been done for him wasn't just For him. Now, let me speak to my senior saints and my retirees for a moment. It is not the goal of the Christian life. It may be the goal of the American life to coast into eternity, but it's not the goal of the Christian life to coast into eternity. What God has done for you, what He's done in you, is not just for you. Even as you retire, Even as you're in this season where, yes, it's so fun to just hang out with each other, but even right now you're connecting, growing, serving, and multiplying. And are you still letting God use you? He is not done with you. And you may even say, you know what, Andrew, most of my life I was far from God. It's just now, even in my retiring years or these senior saint years, that now, man, I understand the depth of God's love and what he's done in me and through me. And now I'm just understanding that I messed up most of my life. Well, yeah, well, you go and you meet with somebody. You tell them, look, I I messed it up for all those years. You tell them everything what not to do, but you tell them what God's doing in your life right now. Now is the time to still multiply others, to share the gospel with others. God is not done 
with you. Man, healthy leadership also has a pattern of submitting to the hand of God. Man, Nehemiah, look in verse 5, chapter 7, verse 5. He says, then my God put it into my heart. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people enrolled by genealogy. Man, Nehemiah, this dude, it has been so evident in his life that he's walking with the Lord. May he's acknowledged so many times that the good hand of God was on him. He's acknowledged so many times that, man, God put this in my heart to accomplish. And so many times, like even people try to trick him and deceive him. He's like, nah, he, he knew the Bible so well enough. He knew that they were trying to tell a lie. He wasn't going to submit to them, but it said he was always going to submit to the Lord. Again, church, we choose Christ over culture. If the Lord has said it, we're going to submit to it. And this is how you show a pattern of what God's been doing in your life, a pattern of submitting to the good hand of God. Man, we see it is so evident in Nehemiah's life. Church, this is one of my prayers for us, that we would see patterns building in our lives, not of sin, but of submitting to the good hand of God. That's my prayer for every single one of us. And it's not just in the Christian part of our life, but it's in every part of our life that we will submit to the good hand of the Lord. And Nehemiah also shows us here that healthy leadership counts. Now, bear with me. The next part of the Bible is one of those sections, again, has a bunch of names and groups of people and numbers So I'm going to go through it, but bear with me as we read it. But as we read this, again, remember that all scripture is God-breathed. God didn't put this genealogy, this record of names and groups of people in here because he wanted to frustrate us or because he wanted to say, hey, just skip over this, okay, get to the good stuff. Like even in this, God has a plan. Even in this, God is saying something to us. All right, so verse 5, and then we're going to read through verse 19, technically through Verse 73, I'm going to skip some of it, okay? We're going to jump down a little bit, so, okay, bear with me. Here we go, starting in verse 5. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and officials and the people enrolled by genealogy. And he says, I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first. I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Rahamani, Mordecai, Bilsham, Mizparath, Big Boy, Big Vey, Big Vayi, Nahum, Bena, and the number of the men of the people of Israel the sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Shaphatia, 372. The sons of Era, 652. The sons of Pehath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,818. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 845. The sons of Zakai, 760. The sons of Binuai, 648. The sons of Bebe, 
628. The sons of Asgad, 2,322. The sons of Adonikon, 667. The sons of Bigve, 2,067. I'll jump down to verse 66. The whole assembly together was 42,360 people, besides their male and female servants, of whom they were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female, their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, their donkeys 6,720. Now some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses to work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Look, if you go back and read Ezra chapter 2, this same list is given in Ezra chapter 2. And again, I know sometimes when we see this in the Bible, we're tempted to skip over it. We're tempted to ignore it. But even right here, think about what the Lord has been trying to do to Nehemiah. The people were in great trouble and great shame. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. And what he's doing is he's calling the people back. And if you notice this list right here, the way that God has Ezra record this and Nehemiah record this is that he's showing these groups of families coming back together. He's showing that there's these groups of families that are actually helping to reestablish this community. Look, it's a reminder that God is the one who wants to establish healthy families. But it's also the fact that healthy families are the foundation of any healthy culture. Look, fractured families lead to broken culture. Healthy families lead to healthy culture. So even this, as God is calling out all these families coming together, he's saying, look, the foundational things are families who are submitted and surrendered to me. Like, that will help this community that, yes, some part of the work is done, but it's not done yet. There's more to be done. The foundational thing, again, is not just this wall, but it's a healthy family. And the Lord has shown us here just how important it is that even in this counting that we have healthy families. God cares about the individuals. He cares about his image bearers. He cares about families and communities. And that's why the leadership counted. Look, every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every single story matters to God. It's the reason why here at Coastal, Look, you may not know everybody's name, but I want everyone here to know somebody's name because every number has a story. Every one of your stories matters to God. And because of that, they matter to us. Look, you may know it. Look, every military has their enlistment, right? And right now, Canada say, I'm so grateful for our military, those who have served and those who are serving right now, um, especially with all these wars happening around the world. Man, I love the fact that we have such a strong military that people are not going to mess with the United States because of our great military. Man, I'm so grateful for those who have served and who are serving right now. But every, look, every military has an enlistment. Every team has a roster. 
Every school has an attendance. And here at Coastal, we have a membership. In fact, shameless plug, we are Coastal's on November 5th. Again, I want to challenge you to come on November 5th, right after the service is over. But man, we really do value membership here because we want to know that you are counted here because you matter to God. I want everyone to be able to lean in and lean into what God is doing here, but also what we together as a people can do when we have our hearts surrendered to the Lord. Look, there is more leadership that needs to be developed. And I know some of you are thinking right now, some of you are thinking, well, well, obviously, I mean, there's people in our church right now who uh, lead businesses, and obviously they're leaders in that area. I know many of you, again, have led or are leading in portions of our military right now. You're thinking, well, this is probably for them, the leaders in there. Uh, many of you thinking that, hey, maybe you're a government official or you led a contracting team or whatever it is, and maybe this leadership stuff is for them. But I heard John Maxwell say one time that one of the most simplest ways to define leadership is that leadership is influence. Every single one of you, every single one of you, every single person sitting in this room, and watching online, God has placed you in a circle of people, and he's given you influence. Are you healthy? Are you making that influence all about you? Or are you stewarding that influence for the gospel? Are you stewarding that influence to bring glory to God? To see that, yes, there are still people out there who are in great trouble and great shame, but what God is doing in you and for you is not just for you. Come on, teachers in the room. When you're sitting in those classrooms, when you're teaching those students, God has given you a circle of influence. Are you a healthy leader? Come on, students in the room. When you're on your team, when you're in your classroom, are you stewarding the influence, the circle of influence that God has given you right now? Are you making it all about you? Or are you making it all about him? Even in that, like, are you showing that the good hand of God has been on you? Are you showing a pattern in your life that you've submitted to the Lord? Are you stewarding that influence that he's given you wherever it is? And again, my retirees and my senior saints. And again, it is so good that you're taking time to play some pickleball and hate the Dallas Cowboys. And you're taking time right now to hang out. But even right now, with your great-grandkids, your great-nieces, nephews, your grandkids, your grand-nieces and nephews, are you even stewarding that influence that you have with them? Are you showing them that the good hand of God is on your life? Leadership is influence. Every one of us has been given this influence, so are we using it for the glory of God? Nehemiah knew that the work is done, and look, we can celebrate that. And we can celebrate the fact that God's done something great in our lives, and maybe we've crossed a finish line, but success cannot make us complacent because there's more that God wants to do in you. And he shows us that more healthy leaders need to be developed because every single one of you, God's given a seat of influence somewhere. Now, I know what you're thinking. Andrew, you spent most of the message talking about point one, and I see three points here on my sheet. Don't worry, okay? I'm going to give you the next one, and we're going to get through it. All of chapter 8. I told you, I hope you ate a good breakfast. And the lunch places won't close, okay? Even though I am hungry right now. I mean, I've been thinking about what I'm going to have after the service is over. Maybe a sandwich. Maybe a salad. Maybe a burrito. You said tacos? Panda Express? No. All right. Sorry. 
All right, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, okay? And listen, church, this is, this is so good, what the people do. Again, they had this great, listen to what happens next. It's so good. Chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, all the people gathered together as one man, as one person, as one group of people, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord commanded to Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. And again, men and women, all who could understand means young and old, multi-generational, coming together to hear the word of God. And in verse 3, it says he read from the square, or he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Now pause right there for a moment. They read the word of God from early morning until midday. Let me just challenge you. Wherever you are in your quiet time with the Lord, increase it. There's something about focusing on the word of God from morning until midday they did it. Man, some of you right now, you're just reading the verse of the day. Increase it. Make it a chapter of the day you're reading in God's word. Some of you are reading a chapter a day. Man, increase it. Read a couple chapters of God's word every day. Some of you guys right now are just praying for your meal. That's the only prayer time you have. Increase it. Man, set a timer for 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Increase your time with the Lord. There's something powerful that happens when you surrender more time to God. From morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, verse 4, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him, he stood, beside him stood that guy, and then Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masaiah, not Messiah, Masaiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkija, Hashem, Hashbananah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And again, not, he was like not above them, like, you guys, I'm up here, you guys are down here, but literally he was in a place so he could project so that they can hear the word of God being read. So Ezra was above all the people. In verse 6, it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen. Again, you think it's, it's not coincidence I try to get you to talk to each other in church, okay? I mean, they said, all the people answered, Amen and Amen. Can I get an Amen? We're still working on it. That was okay. We can do better, all right? We can do better. Lifting up their hands. And listen to this, okay? They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, it's a cool name, let's bring that back, Azariah, Josaban, Hanan, 
Kaleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God. And clearly, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So there is more that needs to be done. They crossed this finish line, but Nehemiah shows us here there needs to be more returning to God's word. In every season, in every moment of life, we need to have more returning to God's word. Look, he shows us here that returning to God's word, it brought unity. Look, he said that the people came together. They were, came together as if they were all one man, all one person. The people came together. And if you read just the eight verses we just read, the word the people, this communal language, is used eight times in just that section alone. If you read through verse 12, the word the people came together. It's used 12 times in those first 12 verses. And again, here, man, God has been repeating this theme all throughout the Bible, repeatedly over and over and over again, that under his banner, under his word, is real unity. Look, if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, you know this is something that I repeat all the time, that I say all the time, that real unity is found under one name, under one kingdom, under one agenda. Look, it is the prayer of Jesus that we will be united, but it is the plan of Satan that we will be divided. It's no wonder why so many times Satan will try to divide God and people. He'll try to divide husbands and wives. He'll try to divide families, even brothers and sisters. He'll even try to divide the church. But here again, God says the word of God was read. And the people came together, not under a candidate or a critical theory or philosophy, but they were brought together under this one king, one kingdom agenda, in this one kingdom arena, under this one God, under the reading of his word. Man, we see returning to God's word, look, it brings unity, but it also brings humility. It said the people answered, amen and amen. And again, watch this, okay? They lifted their hands, they bowed their heads with their faces to the ground. Church, there's something about your posture that says something about your position. There's something about your posture that says something about how you even positionally view God. They lifted their hands, bowed their heads toward the ground and worship to the Lord. Man, can you see a picture of that? Of them lifting up their hands and saying, God, who's the great and awesome God, we need you. We're broken before you. Can you see them bowing their heads in humility, knowing that their position is one of sinners who have been in great trouble and great shame, and that the only way that they could have been rescued is if God sent somebody. And here God sends Nehemiah to set the people back where they need to go. Again, is this not a picture of the gospel? That we were so broken, so far from God, our sin and our shame left us dead. But while we were sinners, man, Christ died for us. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, God provided a way. That it is by grace through faith that we've been saved. That this Jesus who is God died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and the grave where we were once dead. We have now been made alive in Christ. 
And there's something about the people realizing in this moment that, yes, they were in great shame, but now that the word of God has come, all they can do is lift their hands and bow their heads and acknowledge that God is the one who has rescued them. Let me just challenge you again, church, okay? I know sometimes, like, we sing songs, and Michael Waver, I'm going to have Waver at everybody, Michael. He led this morning. Michael Cuffle. Uh, Mike, Maui led as well. You wave at everyone, too. Maui, go ahead and wave at people. Okay. All right, so if you have any problems with the music, talk to them, okay? And I know sometimes, I, look, I know sometimes that the worst singing songs, you're like, man, why am I always singing this song? Okay. Have you thought about that? It's not about Look, nobody's coming here to worship you. Okay, I'm just telling you that right up front. But something about your posture in worship says something about your view of God. So all I'm saying is that check your posture when we're in worship. Look, I, I know that worship is more than us just singing on Sunday mornings. I know it's a lifestyle. And again, like it's our, whatever we have our attention and our affection on. But even right here, when we're gathered together, check your posture doing worship because you're saying something to the Lord about what you believe about him in those moments when you have that scowl on your face like I don't like this song you're saying that hey I, God I'm thinking more about me than I am about you and sometimes what you need to do is just open your mouth a little bit wider sometimes you maybe want to lift your hands like the people did and maybe you don't start up here okay maybe you're like this right? a little bit like this maybe you're like this okay Maybe you graduate to this one day, but maybe you just start right here, okay? And maybe in that moment you say, God, you know what? It's not about me. It's about you. I cannot save myself, but you provided a way. God, I was dead in my sin, my trespasses, but you provided a way. God, I needed help. I was in great trouble and great shame, but you sent somebody. You provided for me. And God, all I can do is lift my hands and bow my head before our great and awesome God. Look, returning to God's word, returning to who he is, it brings great unity, but church, it brings great humility. God opposes the proud, but he gives so much grace to the humble. Do you want God's opposition in your life, or do you want his grace? Church, I want his grace. And then also returning to God's word. Okay, last thing today. Returning to God's word also brings great clarity. Look in verse 8. It says that the people heard clearly. They knew it was the Lord. They knew, again, at least in this moment, what they had to do. Again, when you know who you are, when you know whose you are, you will know what to do. And he's reminding, look, in this season and every season, it is the word of God that brings great clarity. Listen to me, some of you right now, you're in a season of opposition like the people were. You're in a season right now where it seems like, man, you're being attacked from every angle, from outside, from inside. And right now you are trying to find clarity, trying to find hope in so many other things. You're trying to find it in searches online, man, Googling stuff, chat GPT stuff. Man, we watched something last night where AI was trying to take over the world, like I'm not gonna participate in it, okay? Some of you are trying to find who you are and find clarity in your sexual identity. Some of you are trying to find who you are and what you need to do by leaning into your sin, thinking, hey, if I can just master it, if I can just master this sin, 
then everything's going to be okay. Maybe the best thing to do right now is to give into it and to lean into it, but it is God's word that brings clarity in every season. And the word of God was read to the people, and it says that they clearly understood because they knew who God was. They knew who he was and what he had done for them. Again, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Um, we do family devotions in our family, and uh, we've been going through this little devotion book. And last week, Friday, uh, there was a moment where uh, in the devotion it said to ask everyone around the table, ask them a question, what is your favorite Bible verse? And honestly, I thought in that moment, um, my kids were probably going to be like, well, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or maybe John 11.35, which says Jesus wept. Yeah, you guys... Okay, if you don't memorize any Bibles, at least start there, right? John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept, right? I, I, thought, I thought that's what they were going to do, but man, praise God. I mean, God has been so gracious, and the things that my wife and I have been trying to pour into them, our coastal kids have been trying to pour into them, and coastal students have been trying to pour into them. And they said verses like Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which says, Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything through prayer and petition. Present your requests to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Regard your heart and guard your mind. They said verses like Psalm 46, verse 1, which says that God is a refuge and a strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble. Kara said some random thing. I think she was speaking in tongues at that moment. And then my youngest son, Lucas, he said this. He said, he said, he said Dad, I don't remember what the actual reference number is, but I know there's this verse in the Bible where Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he said, in that, man, God's word always provides us freedom. And he didn't know, but he was saying, John 8, verse 31 through 32, where Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if, it's conditional, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Look, so many of you may have been looking for clarity in this season. You've been looking in all the wrong places. It is the word of God that brings clarity. It is the word of God that brings freedom. And as our worship team comes back up to the stage, I'm going to give you point number three, okay? I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going to teach you on it until next week. And let me just say, do not miss next week. This is kind of like part 7.21, 7 7.1 of a two-part series as we get ready to wrap up this series. I feel like from the beginning, I've been waiting to share with you this next message next week for this last part of the series. So here's point number three. Write this down, but it's just a preview, okay? Don't, don't think about it too much, but wait till you come back next week. There is more that God wants to do in you and through you. And there is more brokenness that's needed over sin. But there is more freedom from condemnation that's needed for all of us. I'm telling you, next week is the week to invite a friend who's far from God. Next week is the week to invite somebody who's maybe been out of church for a while. Because right now, people are feeling the brokenness in their sin, but I'm telling you, there's so much freedom that comes in knowing Christ. And again, if my eight-year-old can say, Daddy, it is God's word that brings freedom, how much more clarity does God want to bring to all of us? Now, church, when you're going to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I just want you to take a moment, okay, as the band plays softly underneath me so I sound more spiritual in this moment. I just want to conclude by asking you two questions, okay? Look, are you a healthy leader? 
God has given you influence. Leadership is influence. Again, he's giving you influence in your home, in your neighborhood, at your work, in your classroom. Are you leveraging that influence, showing others that the good hand of God is working in your life? Man, is your heart broken for what breaks the heart of God? Is your heart actually broken for other people? Is your heart broken for what breaks the heart of God? Are you actually lovingly confronting problems, not being complacent after a great showing a pattern of submitting to God. Come on, are you healthy? Because God wants to do more in you and through you. He's not done with you. And then are you returning to God's word more? Increase your quiet time. Look, maybe you've been consuming more Netflix or consuming more TikTok. Decrease that. Increase your time with the Lord. Consume more of God's word. Man, it is his word that is an anchor for us in every single season. It is his word that actually provides us with the clarity that we need, the humility that we need, even the unity that you're looking for in your own home is found in God's word. So are you a healthy leader? Are you returning to God's word more? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for how good it is. God, I thank you for the challenge that we've seen in Nehemiah. And God, how you called him and he answered. And how he prayed, oh, great God, the God who is great and awesome. God, he mourned and prayed and sought you. But he didn't just say, God, use someone else. Go do whatever. He said, God, use me. I love how, Lord, you showed that your good hand was on him. God, I love how he showed that in the circles of influence you place him, there was this pattern of submitting to the Lord. I loved how he didn't just make it all about him, but he multiplied leaders and how he appointed other people to lead other people and to take what you've done in him and not just keep it for him. God, I pray all of us would do the same. God, we would have these patterns of submitting to you, trusting in you, but not just keeping what you've done for us for us, we would share that with others. But God, I pray that we would also have more returning to your word. I know so many times, God, when, when we hit a point of crisis or opposition, we'll first turn to our cousin in them. We'll first turn to social media or hey, we'll first turn to Alexa or whatever it is. But God, I pray that we would first and foremost turn to you. Your word brings clarity. Lord, your word brings unity. Lord, it also brings the humility that we need. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So help us, Lord. If you've said it, we want to submit to it. So Lord, show us what we need to do. God, show us how we need to move forward. God, remind us that you are not done with us. There is more that you want to do in us and through us. In Christ's name.